0: Sky Blues Extra.
2: Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast which is kindly sponsored by Shortland Horn, Coventry's leading estate agents. My name is Tom Ward and I'm joined this evening by Dean. Good evening Tom. Evening mate and I'm pleased to say we're joined by a very special guest and club historian Jim Brown. Evening Jim, how are you?
3: Evening Tom, I'm well thank you.
2: Good good, it's it's good to have you on Jim. Um, so what we tend to do with these, um, these podcasts really is, is sort of go right back to the start. I know you've, you've supported the Sky Blues for, for a number of years, but when did the sort of story start for you?
3: Um, well, I was always a big football fan when I was a, a little boy, um, but uh didn't get taken to, to a game till um, my dad took me to, to see uh, Lockheed Leamington. I grew up in Lemington. And um, he took me to Lockheed Leamington. And from the age of about seven or eight, he, he, he let me go with my, uh, one of my mates around the corner. We would walk up to the windmill ground and um, generally make a nuisance of ourselves, <laughs> uh, hang around for autographs after the game. And, um, and then uh, one, one season, I think it was 1961, I'd have been about eight, eight or nine. Um, my dad took me to see Lockheed play in a Birmingham Senior Cup final at Highfield Road. Okay. And, uh, and I, I said to my dad, oh, can, can we, after the game, can we come and see a game with Coventry City? Um, and uh, it just so happened they were playing uh, Burnley in a, in a friendly game um at Highfield Road. And just, just putting into context, Burnley were one of the top sides in, in yeah. uh in, in England. That season they'd been they'd been runners up in the league to Ipswich and they'd been cup finalists and lost at Wembley to Spurs. And they had a you know real star studded team. Mm-hmm. And and they won the player that I really loved, you know, from my soccer annuals Um, and the like was a guy called Ray pointer had this shocking head of blonde hair and he was playing for Burnley that night. He scored an amazing goal um, and Burnley beat city. But um, Jimmy Hill had taken over about, about six months earlier. And although city were still wearing their old shirt, they they hadn't, they hadn't, uh, gone into the sky blue shirts at this stage.
4: Mm.
3: Um, uh, they were still wearing the old white shirts, and there was no grass on the Highfield Road pitch because it was the, <laughs> end the end of the season. Um, but I was just hooked by this crowd. It, there must—it yeah. was probably about twelve or thirteen thousand there, but it seemed like the whole world was in Highfield Road, and I was just hooked from that that point yeah. on.
2: For friendly um, as well, it's so a decent crowd.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. So Burnley were a massive, massive yeah. side. Um And we had a, a guest player. um, You probably never heard of him, but it was a guy called Johnny Byrne, who was nicknamed Budgie Byrne. Okay. And he was an England international, and he guested for us. I think he was a mate of Jimmy Hill, and he guested for us that night. And, um, yeah, I, I was hooked from that, that point on. And, of course, Jimmy Hill had taken over – and that's the, the you know that summer he you know he introduced the sky blue kit, yeah. and he started bringing in the uh you know the the sky blue influence um the sky blue song came along later that year um and the team were were pretty good mm. um but um um it was the next season sixty two three season where I started going and um I went to a couple of games. Um, early in the season but we had this awful winter that year where we didn't play any games from uh, I think it was Boxing Day right through to the first week in March
4: okay.
3: um, yeah, yeah. and the, the FA Cup uh, game against the third round tie against Lincoln was postponed 17 times because of snow and <laughs> ice and frozen pitches and Eventually, it was played, I think, the first week in March. And City played seven cup ties in a month, in the month of March. You know, they, beat, they beat Lincoln in the third round. They, they took three games to beat Portsmouth. Um, then they played Sunderland um, in the fifth round and Man United in the sixth round. And uh, OK, that's six, not seven games, six FA Cup ties. But the Sunderland game, I it was midweek. I was at school and it was impossible to get get to uh, Coventry for the evening game. But that was that was the game which really cemented the sky blue revolution, if you like. Uh, there were over 40,000 in Highfield Road. Sunderland were a, top of the second division. We were in the third division. And we beat them with two, two late goals. But my dad happened to get tickets for the Man United game. Um, so um, we, went, we went up to Highfield Road. It poured with rain all day. We were standing on the Cop Terrace and just drenched. <laughs> and, um, and I don't remember much about the game, although I know, what, I know what happened. We took an early lead, then had a goal disallowed. And that let let man united off, and they they beat us three one in the end but um you know that that cup run really brought so many Coventry fans back into the back into the fold and um you yeah, know really really kicked off the the sky blue revolution mm-hmm. um, so well, that was that was my that was why i you know. I, I, I guess I was like a lot of kids in Coventry and Warwickshire who got swept up by Jimmy Hill, and he was like the Pied Piper. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Bring you all back. And, yeah, and he, the, yeah, one of the first things he did, which was really, really positive, he had this pop and crisps night after the, uh,
4: after yeah, the, the, the,
3: the, the Christmas. It was always, it's always the Christmas home game, and he would invite the, the kids uh, to go and get the autographs. So all the first team would be there after the game signing autographs and the kids got a bottle of pop and a bag of crisps. And um, he, he, he wrote, actually, that the first time they did it, he told the team that they, oh, you'll be gone in about 20 minutes. Be, uh, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be done and dusted and you'll be able to go home. It was two and a half hours later. Wow! Yeah, uh, uh, they the managed to get away, and all these <laughs> kids were just—these kids were hooked for life. Mm. You know?
5: It should, should bring back the uh, the Pop and Chris night now. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd be turning up definitely. Pop and Chris <laughs> yes. is joy to father. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you talk about you talk about autographs there, Jim. So, just talk us through some of your heroes in the sky blue shirt. Then, as you as you were growing up,
3: um, well. The, the the in the in the sort of original Jimmy Hill team it was George Curtis you know he was like a, yeah. a man mountain you know and, and he was just so popular with the kids But, of course um we had Terry Bly that first season who could who scored 27 goals and then Jimmy Hill went out and, and bought George Hudson to replace him uh, and told him he was replacing him um And, of course, then George Hudson came along and he was a fantastic centre forward, had all the skill. And he he was like, a a, you know, centre forwards in those days were were normally big, beefy blokes who pushed, you know, shoved their weight around the penalty box, won everything in the air, uh, got kicked to death by centre halves. You know, had to be really tough guys. George Hudson was he was like a more like a modern day footballer more like a Bergkamp um, a type player very skillful lots of lovely touches um, but could win the ball in the air um, but but he was a he, he was a jinking almost like a the old fashioned Scottish uh, Scottish players a, a real ball player. Um, and then there was Ronnie Reese on the wing, very popular. Willie Humphreys on the other wing. Um, those are my sort of first heroes.
5: Obviously, you alluded to, you know, some special memories of Haifa Road, being in awe of it as, as you first walked in. But what mm. what real memories have you got of Haifa Road? Because it's a special place, isn't it, where well, at least it was?
3: Yeah, it was. And, and you know, I, I, I remember it before the... Um, You know, before the uh, West Stand was built, you know, when we were in the second division, it was the old covered end, which was like a massive um, corrugated steel cover over the terrace, uh, which they bought from Twickenham in the in the nineteen twenties. Okay. And um, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, when I was ten or eleven years old, going into that covered end. And the smells—I can smell it now—the the smell of of beer and cigarettes and sweat—and um, you would get that that covered terrace was just packed, and they had a the city had a choir um, that, that would be up towards the back of the uh, the, the back behind the goal, and uh, there was a guy called Reg who they used to put on their shoulders. And he would start the chanting, you know, um, give me a C, give me an O, give me a V, and then when he finished, you know, Coventry, it would be Coventry, Coventry, and the whole, you know, covered terrace would would be chanting. Um,
5: I think I've heard Tom start that chant a few games myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, it was fantastic! Yeah, and that 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 uh, everybody was pa- always packed into that covered terrace you know and when it rained of course everybody would come in from the sides and be even more full Um, and it was a shame when that went really and they built the the sky blue stand um, instead Um, but yeah the um, and the cop was obviously before the East Stand was built um, the cop was just a big open terrace which uh, um, I don't know if you guys remember it but um on if you look at it from the left from the from the pitch, the left hand side had this big crow's nest uh at, at the left hand side, which went right up right up into the sky. And it, it was like an extension to the terrace just on one side. Um but yeah to see that ground full was 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 really something.
5: I think it's a real um, testament because you know when you talk to other fans and from other football clubs, they always talk about Highfield Road, don't they? It's yeah. it's real testament to to the club having that sort of special ground, and the memories made there, of of course.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it, was, and, it and of course, night games are always special under the floodlights. There was yeah. just a different atmosphere, you know. It just, and, and, City never used to lose many games at home and under, under the lights. You know, they had this. They they just the crowd were louder. The the um, the atmosphere was electric, you know. And remember the, the West Ham League Cup tie in eighty one, where the crowd lifted the side. is that they, they were two 0 mm-hmm. down at half time? The crowd lifted the team to you know great heights. Fantastic.
5: What about what about the product on the pitch then? because you know football back then is completely different to the modern game. So so what was yeah. the so sort of the action like at, at at that time?
3: Um well in it was a different game. Um I think it was a I think it was a much more egalitarian game back then. Um you know you, you teams could go up the divisions and um through through merit rather than just buying buying success and you know um back in the back in the old second division days you know the year the year we went up you know the we were playing against teams that had just come down from the first division like blackburn and ipswich and bolton these teams who had been big first division teams and they had basically the same team as they played in the first division. Um, They might've lost one or two of their star players, but basically it was the same team. And, um, you know, it was a much more egalitarian, uh, egalitarian game. Um, But as far as on the pitch, well, it was, it was a harder game. There's no question. It was far more physical contact. The referees let 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 things go. It was unusual for players to be booked back in the sixties. To to be booked, you had to do something. Uh, you know, you had real to, bad. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was, there was Crystal Palace used to kick Willie Humphreys, you know, up in the air. Their left back used to kick him every time he attacked him, and it took six or seven dreadful tackles before the referee would book him.
5: Yeah.
3: Um, you definitely would not get, get that now. No. To get sent, yeah, to get sent off, you had to do. You almost had to commit murder. murder yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just... um, I think in the Jimmy Hill era, the only player that was sent off was George Hudson, and that was for um, knocking the Huddersfield centre half senseless, knocking him out with his fists. Wow. And it was normally, it was up until the early seventies, it was. You know, it, it was fisticuffs that got you sent sent off Um I remember Dietmar Brook at Main Road um, in 68 he got sent off with Tony Coleman and it was for fighting they were, just had a an all out brawl on the pitch wow and it's more like an ice hockey off. match it was if we yeah. got a
2: 10 game ban these days for that wouldn't you
3: um, and then the following season Morris Setters got sent off with Liverpool's Alan Evans and it was the same Morris one into a late tackle on Evans, and Evans got up and and started punching uh, Setters and Setters. You know they just had a brawl on the pitch and they both got sent off. Um, Ian St John got sent off at Highfield Road for for um, uh, just knocking Brian Lewis out senseless. Um, apparently the story goes that that Brian Lewis um, grabbed St John by the balls. And that's why Saint John Saint John uh, retaliated. Wow! Um, and but Lewis didn't get sent off. He was like he was out cold on the pitch. It was Saint John that got sent off.
2: Sounds like uh, sounds like entertaining stuff in the sixties, definitely.
3: Yeah, it was. It was, and and of course, you know, players like George Curtis. You know, mm. they were they. He was tough. He, he never got sent off in his whole career. But he yeah. wasn't, he wasn't, a, I wouldn't call him a dirty player. He was just as hard as nails.
4: Mm.
2: You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Now, Jim, you have watched Coventry City under a number of managers over the years. Um, who are some of your favourites?
3: Well, obviously, Jimmy Hill, because he, yeah. he was, the, he was the, the maestro. He was the mm. man that took us from the depths of the third division to, to the first division. Um, I had a lot of time for Noel Cantwell, who followed him. Uh, you know he did he performed miracles to keep us up two years running, and then uh took us to sixth place uh and into Europe with a, a team which was pretty pretty defensive but had but also had a bit of flair with players like Willie Carr, Ian Gibson um, but he built it, he built his success on on a very solid defense. Um, Gordon Milne had a lot of time for you know, he was manager for what a seven or eight years, and um, he 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 brought us the 77 8 team, you know, the Ian Wallace Mick yeah. Ferguson team, which was the best football I've seen at uh at Coventry by, by any shadow of doubt. He, he was ju- it was just fantastic attacking football, um. And Dave Sexton, you know unlimited resources gave us a, a good attacking team uh, i I like Gordon Strachan, I think he you know he gave us a most successful time in the premiership with a you know very good team of course we had we had a bit more money then, but he yeah. he, he did he did extremely well um, the modern day managers um none of them really inspire me to be honest. Um, hmm. I think Tony Mowbray, uh, uh, you know, got us going for a while. Uh, you know, I thought he, he, he had us playing a good brand of football. Yeah. Um, but then something, something went drastically wrong.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and then of course, Mark Robbins has, um, you know, has transformed the, the, the club and the team and, um, you know, he's, he's worked miracles. And, um, you know, well, I need say no more. You know, I think he's yeah. a, been a fantastic manager for us. Yeah, playing definitely. attractive football, getting us out of League Two was a, was a, a hard slog. Mm. You know, by playing football, he, he overcame, you know, the, the, some, of the, some of those hard defensive negative sides you, you get down there. Um and it's taken us, you know, obviously to to the championship.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll get on
2: to chat a bit more about him and the sort of modern day, you know, a bit later on. And I just wanted to um going back to sort of your favorite players, if if you could bring sort of any player back and I guess play them in in the team today, who would who would that be?
3: Um I think it would be my most the player I'd bring back would be Roy Barry. He was mm. a, a, a tremendous center half who was if, if you like he was the final piece in noel campwell 's jigsaw in yeah. in the sixty nine seventy season he He was just a, a hard center half who could play football and he was an inspiring captain he was um, he was just so influential um, in a very very short space of time, he he joined us in the I think October '69. We barely lost a game between then and March in the March when he got uh, when he broke his leg, and um, you know he he got us up into the top top uh, top six. And uh, although he broke his leg, we we managed to you know keep our position and, and qualify for Europe. Um, sadly, he wasn't quite the same when he came back, but mm. he was still a tremendous competitor yeah. um, and, uh, and, and, and a lovely guy to boot, you know, I've met him a lot of times and he's, he's a tremendous guy and we stay in touch. Um, I, I, sp- I spoke to him last week when, uh, when I was doing the uh, tribute to Morris Setters and, you yeah. know, he had memories of, of Morris and, um, He's still in in good form, even though he's you know in his, his late seventies now. Um, but he, he wouldn't be my favourite player. My favourite player of all time is Ian Gibson, who was just okay, a yeah. fantastic ball playing Scottish inside inside forward, who had had everything. You know he could he could dribble, he could pass, he could score goals, and um, it's like a modern day number ten as such. Yeah, yeah, he he was he was a genius, genius for yeah. the football. Um, uh, sadly, he, he had his demons, you know, he, you know, like a lot of footballers in those days, he, he liked to drink. He, uh, he was a big betting man. He was always betting on the horses and it was, it was a distraction. Um, yeah. sadly, um, yeah.
5: You always tend to find those sort of geniuses, they, t- they tend to have those troubles, don't they? You know, I'm, I'm talking the like Gascoins, et cetera. They always seem to you know, go, go down a wrong path as such.
3: Yeah. 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 He was very similar in, in playing style to Gascoigne. You know, he, he could ride the tackles, he could score the goals, and, you know, it was a joy to watch.
2: Yeah. Makes you wonder how good some of those players would have been had they not had some of the, the troubles off the pitch.
3: Yeah, yeah. Flawed, flawed geniuses, yeah.
2: Yeah. And, Jim, just in terms of um, goals, you know, in, obviously in the intro to this podcast, there's uh, some famous commentaries there of some brilliant goals. Um, what's the greatest Coventry city goal ever, in your opinion?
3: Um, well, I have to say, uh, Tommy Hutchison's at, at Highbury against Arsenal in 72-3. Yeah, um, you you can get a YouTube clip of it—a very very brief one. It's very hazy and and, uh, but it. <laughs> but in your it in your head is it clear as day. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do it justice. You know, yeah. I, was the, I was at the clock end behind the the Arsenal goal in the second half, and Hutch, Hutchison got it on the halfway line, and he'd he'd fleeced Pat Rice all afternoon. And he he took on the Arsenal defence. I think I think he beat five or six players. It gets me every time I retell the <laughs> story, I can add another one. <laughs> um, I think he got pushed wide, and then he he just slid the ball past uh, Jeff Barnett in the Arsenal goal. That to me is was you know the, the best ever City goal. Yeah. Um, it probably it, it probably has got tricks in my memory, but I'm sure probably the Darren Huckabee against Man United. Yeah. I was was say. But uh, I'll go with, with the Hutch goal, but, but of course there's also the donkey kick. Goal. Yeah,
2: I was going to say if the donkey kick yeah. must be up there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The, and you've seen that. You've seen that. one. Yeah. Time. yeah. I, yeah I that's a, that's a very famous
2: that, goal isn't. in, in football generally, I think.
3: Yeah, it is. It, it's, everybody knows it, don't they?
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was just so, I guess, so extraordinary at the time to do that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, Roy Barry, I was talking to Roy Barry the other week and he said, uh, a, a taxi driver was chatting to him and he told him he played for Coventry City. He said, Oh, he said, I remember that Ernie Hunt goal. Yeah. Exactly. You know, for that's, you know, almost what, it's 50 years ago. Mm. For Christ's sake. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Uh, Jim, I'm going to move on and bring it on to um, the, the, the sort of founding father of Coventry City in, in Jimmy Hill. Now, you know he's, he's regarded as you know, a huge part of, of Coventry's history and obviously extremely influential. Um, we spoke to Bobby Gold earlier um, in the summer, and he, he he couldn't speak highly enough of of him. Um, just just remind us of of some of Jimmy's achievements, but also sort of in the wider game of football as well.
3: Um, well. I think his achievements at Coventry uh, are incredible there. You know, he came, when he came to Coventry, we were a, a very much a backwater uh, club. Uh, gates were down to 11, 10 or 11,000. Um, we, were, we were struggling on a mud heap of a pitch in uh, old fashioned kit and uh, old fashioned boots. We'd been in, uh, we'd been in the third division. Or we'd been below the second division for since 1952 for what ten, almost ten years, without ever really looking as though we could get back up there. We'd even been down to the fourth division for one season, um, and um, you know the, the 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 ground was was in a dreadful state. The pitch, as I said, was a, a mud heap. And Jimmy arrived, and he, he had these fresh ideas. A lot of them were called gimmicks. And he had the backing of an excellent chairman in Derek Robbins, who was a very much go-ahead businessman and a, a supported Jimmy. And um, the as I said before, the cup run in '63 really kicked off things. We got promotion from the third division the following year were in in their new sky blue kit with the sky blue song, massive away followings. You know, twelve thousand fans went to Peterborough. Um, mm. You know, it was regular regular four and five thousand away fans. When you know, a lot of clubs had very very poor away followings. Yeah, we, this is before you know we had the major motorway network in the country. You know, it would take you it would take you the best part of three hours to get up to to Manchester or Liverpool. Um, But we had massive followings. Then, yeah, we were in the second division. We consolidated for one season. Um, We introduced the Sky Blue train. Jimmy started doing this pre-match entertainment. He had Radio Sky Blue on to attract people into the stadium, you know, for an hour or so before the kickoff. And it wasn't unusual for the, you know, the ground to be, Two thirds full at uh, quarter past two, for a you know three o'clock kickoff. Um, he he got the vice president's club, so he got the local businessmen up there spending their money, uh, paying for the privilege of having a drink at halftime, a drink before and after the match. Um, and he got the club onto the back back pages of all the national newspapers. You know. When Jimmy had a story, he would he'd he'd ring up his contacts in Fleet Street and they would flock and listen to his listen to his PR stuff. And we were we were always in the news. You know, if you go back to the new the Coventry Telegraph, for instance, in the 1950s, before Jimmy was there, you get. You get um, two news stories a week in the Telegraph about Coventry. It'd be like Monday was, you know, the aftermath of the game, the match report, and who's got injured, and then it would be the Friday. Oh, the team for tomorrow is so and so, and that's all. It's all the coverage you got, unless there was a you know transfer in the offing or a manager sacked. Um, so um, you know, Jimmy made sure there was a story every day for for Derek Henderson in the Telegraph. And as I said, when there was a big story, he'd get the the get the Fleet Street Boys up. Um he revolutionized the program. You know, we were we had we we just had this run of the mill program uh with a um a, a, an article from the boardroom. That was the thing. It was never the manager speaking, it was always from the boardroom. And um uh, he 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 immediately wrote a a piece for the program, every home game, Uh, very often humorous, uh, very often uh, making a a very interesting message to the fans. For instance, I remember when uh, Ernie Machin and Ken Hale, they were the, but they were butts of the crowd at one stage. And he, he, in his column in the program, he, he said he, he invented this conversation between him and his six year old daughter, which basically said, uh, "Daddy, why are the fans booing uh, Ken Hale?" And Jimmy's response was, "Well, they they, they think, don't think he should be in the team. Why don't they think he should be in the team, Daddy? Well, they don't think he's playing very well. So, what are you <laughs> doing? Going to do about it, Daddy?" And it <laughs> went on like this. And he he said, "Well, actually, uh, Joanne, the the fans don't really." Uh, know what goes on behind the scenes. They don't see all these players in training. And I think uh, I think Mr. Hell is a very good footballer, and he deserves his his place in the team. <laughs> so he used it as a you know a subtle a subtle message um, to, get to get some dig, influence as in. well. Yeah, and get a dig in at the fans. You know, trust me, I know, I'm the manager. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> God knows what he'd have done with, with, with social media these days. Yeah. He'd, have been, he'd have been struggling. But, um, you know, as I said, he, 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 then he got his promotion from the second division. And you know that season um, you know I've written it about it in my, in my book about that season. The, um, the knives were out for him in the autumn. You know, we got knocked out of the League Cup by Brighton. He he. Then he axed uh, Ian Gibson for quite good reasons. Left him out of the team. Put him on the transfer list. He, Gibson was the fans' favourite, and the fans were up in arms about this. And it wasn't Gibbo's fault. It was it was Jimmy's Jimmy's fault. And of course, the results weren't great. We were struggling down about seventh or eighth in the table when the fans thought we should be top of the table, and. Um, Jimmy bided his time, and when the time was right, he brought Gibbo back, and he, he had him motivated, and he went unbeaten for 25 games, and and got promotion. But there was there was a, there were people who wanted Jimmy out um, wow. that autumn, no question. Just as you you know you can you can you've seen this season when a couple of results don't go right, there are a minority. i I'll, I'll give you of fans who want mark robbins out
5: Mm, yeah it's crazy to think that it's crazy
3: yeah yeah so um yeah so jimmy was a big influence of course then he came back in the 70s as a as a chief executive and then chairman and okay he made some he made some bad decisions um you know you could argue that the all-seater stadium was a was a bad decision but he thought it was the right one at the time, and I think in ultimately he was proved correct. I just don't think he sold it to the the Coventry fans very mm-hmm. well. Um, and then we had the situation where he let uh, a lot of the key youngsters get out of contract um and and that backfired, and um you know we we ended up having to sell a lot of our good young players. Um, well, they walked basically. It wasn't a case of selling them; they walked. Yeah. Um, so he had his he had his faults, but he was a, a he was a massive influence on the club. And as you as you said, he he had a big influence on the, on the whole game. You know, going right back to as a PFA chairman, he he led the he led the fight to to um, and the the maximum wage um uh, which every football modern day footballer should be grateful for and he um and then he 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 did a lot of other good work you know rule changes he he was behind the three points for a win yeah. he changed to that to the changes in promotion and relegation um so that there were more there was more teams promoted from the lower divisions um and, he, you know, he was a big influence. Yes, no question.
2: You're
0: listening to Sky Blues Extra.
2: It's absolutely yeah, incredible what he did, really, that, that sort of meteoric rise up the leagues. And obviously, we're sort of seeing it now in the modern day under Mark Robbins, really. Yeah. Um, you know, how much harder do you think it is to do that today compared to back then?
3: I think, I think it's incredibly difficult. I think the gaps between the divisions... Uh, particularly League One to the Championship, yeah. And then, they say that's the
2: biggest one, don't they?
3: Yeah, and then up from up to the Premiership, I think
2: it's money, very yeah.
3: difficult. I think the the one big thing that is 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 the parachute payments. Mm. I think that's just something that's got to end. Um, you know, no no side should struggle. Coming down from the Premiership, they've got so much money um, from the, from the parachutes, and it, yeah, all it needs is a bit of reasonable management by those clubs, and they'll go straight back up. And I think you're, I think this season, you see, amazed, that, yeah, yeah I'd be amazed if if Norwich, Watford, and Bournemouth, I, either two, uh, two of them, or all three of them, get promoted. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. just so strong. Yeah, so strong.
2: It's a good yeah. point you make about the, the sort of parachute payments, though, because I suppose it doesn't—it doesn't really encourage teams to build sustainably, does it? Because they—they they always have that safety net that if they do go down, they've got that that financial backing. Whereas if they didn't have it, they perhaps would think a little bit more carefully about about what they do when they go up and how they spend the money, and wages yeah, and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I think yeah, some clubs do, don't they? Um, mm. You know, West Brom have done it for over what. 15 years or more More gradual yeah yeah and okay they come up they might stay two or three seasons they go down and they 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 build again and come and they and they they're sensible with their money okay there have been a few examples where it hasn't you know Sunderland is a big example uh Wigan Wigan as well um and you could, you could say Wolves, you know, Wolves went right down to League One yeah, before yeah. they got their, their act together. Um, but it, And the whole city, of course, they, they, they've yeah. blown it. Um, but, but it's, you know, it, it shouldn't be difficult. It shouldn't be difficult to, right. to manage that drop. And the same, the same applies the gap between League One and the Championship, as we're, as we're seeing. Um, you know you, you 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 need more than just a good manager you need you need a bit of financial backing when you look at our budget it's 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 pretty low compared to majority of the championship clubs and the best we can hope for is to is to stay up uh, to co- try and consolidate for two or three seasons to to sell our best players and reinvest as yeah. you know, as some of the some of the clubs um, in in the championship, have done, I think Leeds are a great example. You know, their fans have moaned they've sort of been selling players for the last three or four years, but they've ended up with a better squad, um, and they've won promotion deservedly. Um, and Brentford are another example, aren't they, of um, where they they've been buying and selling at yeah, massive exactly. profits for five years or more.
2: Um, yeah. Building their stock as
3: they go gradually, yeah. 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 And banking a lot of money. Mm. You know, yeah. Look it at the profits the they made yeah. on yeah, you know, Watkins and Ben Rama and um well there has been there's been several, haven't there? Over the Mepham is another one last season. And uh, they sold players and still got promotion. Yeah.
2: And
3: they sold who do they sell the year uh, they 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 sold um, the lad to Brighton, didn't they? Morpay.
5: Yeah, um, yeah, Neil Morpay. Yeah,
3: Mor- Morpay and Meppam. and then they they still got promotion because they they they'd invested wisely. Um and I think that's what Coventry have got to do. I think. Well, they've they've they've, they've been doing it, haven't they?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's the model we're following, isn't it? It's just to buy players, yeah. sell them on, and sort of gradually build up, build up as we go. It's, I think it seems to be the. It's a sort of logical way to do it when you haven't got, you know, money being pumped in.
0: Yeah. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. i
2: um, was just going to move on and, and talk about 87, Jim, because obviously, you know, it, it's a lot of Sky Blue fans' favourite memory, um, yeah. you know, as they've supported the Sky Blues. So just wanted to get your sort of, you know, everyone seems to have a different story on it. Just wanted to get your kind of uh, memories of perhaps some of the earlier rounds, the build-up towards the final, and then obviously that that magical day at Wembley.
3: Mm. Yeah, that was a great, a great run. Um and, and completely out of the blue, you know, we'd had we'd had three seasons where we'd have to win on the final day to stay up. And uh and then John and George took over. And I think everybody knew quite early on in that season that we, you know, things had turned round dramatically. You know, we were pretty pretty strong at home that season. Um, I remember when we beat forest who were a big, you know, big club, then I think we beat them in the November and we, yeah, we, we knew we had something pretty, pretty good. Cyril suddenly had come to life after a couple of, you know, pretty lacklustre seasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, we had a very solid defense, you know, with, uh, borrows and downs and killer and key. Kill yeah. And, um, We and then, then of course, the cup came out where we had the big boxing day win over Spurs. Uh, and then the cup came around, we easily beat Bolton. Uh, and then we won at Old Trafford, didn't we, in the fourth round? And I think people started to think, Well, you know, beat United, we might be going somewhere. But I think, (laughs) I think it was uh, when we won at Stoke in the fifth round. I think that's, I think, when we won up there, and we were a bit lucky that day, Stoke battled us a bit. But I think coming out of the Victoria Ground that day, I think a lot of City fans thought we 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 could win, we could you know we could go far in this.
5: Yeah, I was about yeah. to say no, they, that Stoke game. That's, yeah. that's the one my my dad always says. Yeah, yeah, that's that's when I knew we had a real opportunity, a golden opportunity yeah. to win the cup at this. At yeah, this my mum
2: said that the same as well. Seems to be a lot a lot of people thought that.
3: Yeah, brilliant. And then and then of course we drew Sheffield Wednesday, and we thought, oh god, you they had an amazing cup run. Rep- Cup record, I don't think they'd lost a home cup tie for about 25 years and um, and that day was special, that day there was a massive following all at the Leppings Lane end um, and you know we got that early goal and we just kept Wednesday at bay for so long and then they got, oh, it was a lucky equaliser, Megson wasn't it and their fans. Then we thought, "Oh God, here we go." It's mad how it still annoys you to this day. You can <laughs> feel it in, in, when you yeah. talk. Oh, it did. And uh, I was in the Le- in the upper tier at the end at the Leppings Lane end, and then Houchin just came alive. He just, you know, he hadn't done a lot all season to be honest. He only scored the winner at uh, Old Trafford, but he hadn't done a lot, and he just came alive that day and that was that was that was the the special moment for me winning winning those two late goals at hillsborough um the semi final uh, that was a that was a knife edge wasn't it all the uh winning an extra time we we were behind for a long time that day and then somehow you know got back in the game mickey Gin equalized um, and then wembley and i'm afraid to say i'd my memories of Wembley were just so fleeting. It just, you, hear, you know, you hear, we hear managers say, Oh, I tell my players that when they get to Wembley, you know, soak it all up, enjoy the day, take it all in. because It'll go so quickly. And it, to me, it just went so quickly that day. It's like a blur. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
5: I was going to it ask was. you how it sort of compares then to the checker trade and, and the playoff finals at Wembley. But, you know, if you, if you can't remember much about 87's cup final day, then I'm not well, sure you can compare it, right?
3: I think, I think, I think I went to Wembley thinking, oh, I just hope, you know, because Spurs were awesome that season. They scored so many goals. Uh, just, I'm thinking, I hope we don't get embarrassed I just don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to lose four or five nil at Wembley.
5: And they had a brilliant side, yeah. didn't they, Spurs at that in that they final? Did.
3: Yeah, they did. I remember and watching it in the fight. summer
5: when ITV played played it back, mm. and uh, the the team lineups came up. I was like, oh my god, this Spurs side were electric.
3: Yeah, yeah. and I don't think anybody outside Coventry thought we had an earthly chance. Um, you know, and the sun said Spurs will win six <laughs> nil you know it's crazy stuff and you know you. nice to prove that was wrong yeah you, you just you just think oh they can't they can't get hammered That's, you know and then you people are saying oh but cup final anything can happen but you, you just don't believe that you know because you've been a Coventry fan for so long <laughs> think,
5: oh. it's part and parcel of supporting yeah. the club
3: you know, and of course I was in Munich in nineteen seventy and saw us lose six one there and you think I just don't want something like that again. Yeah. That would be you know that would that would wreck that would wreck my life if we got hammered <laughs> at Wembley. And then of course when Clyde Allen scored in the second minute, you think, Oh God, here we here go. Here we go. Yeah. But then, you know, by the time we got to half time, you think, We're in this, we can win this. And then it was just it was just a topsy turvy Game. It was just swinging like a pendulum from one end to the mm. other. Um, one minute you're up, the next minute you're down, and then uh, then you, then of course you get the euphoria euphoria of Houchin's goal, and then you start at extra time. You know, in extra time, I always remember that um, my wife was with me. She very rarely goes to a game. We've probably only been about two. 10 games in 40 odd years. And she was there that day and she said, The Spurs players are finished. They're all on the ground. <sighs> City players were, you know, they weren't, they they looked lively. Still, so it was, you know, he got his fist there. And she, he said, she said, They'll win this. They'll win this. And she was right. And actually, we could have won it more. You know, Mickey Jin could have made it 4 2. Yeah, they?
5: chances, yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then after the game, it... Oh, I don't know. It
5: <laughs> becomes a blur.
3: Yeah. I don't remember much about it at all. I, I, went, to, I went to go into... I went into London. We lived in, uh, in Harpenden in those days. And I had a daughter who was with a um, childminder for the afternoon. We went back and picked her up. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going into London, meet the London supporters club and have a drink. And by the time we got in... Got to the pub, there were only about four of them left. They'd all gone home. <laughs> they were just mentally exhausted.
5: Yeah. I, can, I, and I, can think imagine. I,
3: I think I was too. And I went to Coventry the next day and was part of the. But again, it's it's just a blur. I can't remember much about it. You're
0: listening to Sky Blues Extra.
3: The,
5: obviously, yeah. with the two recent trips to Wembley in the checker trade, did, did, did any memories come flooding back when you were walking up Wembley Way those days?
3: Um I don't think so, no. I, I I cause I came from the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> cause the train, uh the train comes in where I where I, I coming from Warwickshire, so the train comes in at the other end of the, the country. So. Yeah. yeah. Um but I was with a lot of friends, um, because the former players association got a big block of tickets. I was with lots of friends and with former players as well, which was great fun. Um and then that was for the the Checker trade and for the playoff final. Um, that was special. I got, I got invited into the into the royal box, which is really nice at the club Amazing. to to do that. And I was sat next to the Bishop of Coventry, believe it or not. Wow! And um, he, I had to I had to explain a few things to him about the the team and about the game, but um, it was fascinating. It, of course. At half time it was um it was nil nil. So um he said to me at half time, he said, Jim, he said, um, do you think we should say a little prayer? <laughs> I <laughs> think we all were, Jim. Yeah. And uh I, and I'm not a religious person, but I I i had a little prayer with the Bishop of Coventry and of course within minutes we were ahead. And um
5: Maybe we should put it all down to that then.
3: Yeah, those, I, those think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. So, Jim, yeah, just sort of moving on to your role as the, the club historian, yeah. um, you know, we really enjoy a lot of the stats that you put out and some of the throwbacks and obviously your your blog. Um, tell us a bit about how you sort of came to be in that role.
3: Um, well, I was, as a boy, I was always interested in football. I always got the football annuals for Christmas and used to pore over the league tables and, um, you know, Looking at the, the old cup finals and always made sure I watched whatever, whenever there was football on TV. And of course there was a lot less in those days. It was mainly, you know, the FA cup final and England games. You to rush home from school to watch the England games because they were on the, in the midweek afternoons uh, back in the, the, the late fifties and sixties. Um, but as I said, I always used to pour over the tables. And when I started going to watch Coventry, um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't too much interested in the history, but I used to keep records of the games and the results and what have you. Uh, and then when I started going on the Priory coach from Leamington to, to away games, we were about 66, 67, uh, got friendly with a guy called Rod Dean. And he, was, he knew all about the history. He could talk about the 1930s via his dad. And about the fifties, because he was a bit older than me, and um, he got me interested in in the, a bit of the history and and more um, of the old days. And uh, I remember in '69, I I wrote to Derek Henderson, who was the the Telegraph's football writer, and um, said I was interested in uh, you know, could I access the the uh, Telegraph's um, old um, um, archives, and he invited me along uh, on Saturday, Saturday morning because I was I'd left school by this time I was working, and he had his scrapbooks, and he he, he put me in this room in the Telegraph offices on the uh, the first Saturday, and this he brought in this big pile of scrapbooks and they were his personal scrapbooks going back to the fifties. And um, I, what I did, I I started drawing up all the tables of all the seasons and the, who played where, when, who scored, the attendances and everything. So I had my own records, and and it went from there really. And I and I kept on keeping the records. And then in the eighties, late eighties, um, Rod, my friend, and a couple of other friends got together and we we produced the Breeden uh, complete record uh, and my section was the from the 60s to 1990 and the other guys did the older stuff they they would go to uh, the newspaper library at Collindale every Saturday and do their and uh, do their sections and uh, um, research the, the, the club's history and we had a book published and They, to to a certain extent, they lost a bit of interest in keeping the records and I carried on. And um, then in, I think in about the same time I started helping the club out with the program. I, I wrote to the, the, I think it was the chairman at the time saying that the stats were all wrong in the program. And they were, (laughs) because they were very, very badly kept. And I, and I offered to do them. So that that started. Then I started doing an Us and Them piece in the programme and it sort of grew from there. And when Brian Richardson became chairman, we the London Supporters Club invited him down for one of their anniversary dinners. And I had a long chat with him. I sat next to him at the dinner and um, explained what I did. And he said, well, why don't you become our, our historian? We'll make it official and... Um, uh, and it, it, it went from there. And around the same time, I started doing a regular column for the Telegraph, and and I've been doing that for over twenty five years now. And that has become, if you like, the blog. And um, it's uh, it, I've kept it going for for all that time listen
5: jim sometimes i look at your twitter feed and i just think to myself where where is has he plucked this from like, <laughs> how like, how do you keep yeah. it how do you keep a track of everything like do you
3: keep it all in your oh. head or what like, oh, how do no, you keep, no. how, is it all manual or no it's all it's all, it's all computerized these days it's uh, it's all on spreadsheets well it's been on spreadsheet for a long time and um you know keeping the the um the grids going every season who played where and oh it's fascinating i'd love to see them um i hope you keep a backup in case (laughs) uh, you don't want to lose it all (laughs) no but then i have to keep side side things like you know all the uh attendance records and the and i've got a players database with all their appearances in and when they made their debut and uh you know all their international appearances it, it's a it's a quite a big job you know it's it's a few hours a week to keep it keep it up to date thankfully i'm retired so i've got the time to do it you must enjoy yeah. it though jim right oh yeah 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 i do and uh and of course there are there, there are stuff on the internet now which which does a lot of the work for you um i and i do Subscribe to a thing called EnFA. I don't know if you've, you, you've heard it, but this, these are a, a group of guys, well, there's two or three of them who have been doing it, going right back into the 80s, publishing club histories with all the, the stats in. And what they've done over the last 10 years is pull all those club histories into databases, which are now accessible online for an annual subscription. Um, and you've got every lineup in the football league going back to 1888. Wow! Um, and it links through to the players' records and who they played for, how many games, goals, everything um, to do with English football is is on there. And it's a fantastic resource. And I actually am part of the the sort of voluntary team which uh, builds on that database even now. You know, at the moment they're they're putting on they're putting goal times in, going right back to you know to, to time immemorial. Um, wow. and they've even they've also they've also got a project on to to put every referee on who's ever refereed <laughs> a football league game. Believe not. that's it or. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I you knew, knew you guys would appreciate that, but um, I am a bit of an anorak. I know that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that.
3: No,
5: there's nothing wrong with that at all, Jim. Absolutely not. I think I think it's I think it's absolutely fascinating. Honestly, yeah. I'd love to see one of those spreadsheets.
3: Just yeah, well, like, come, come come and uh, come and visit me, or I'll send you one. I'll send you one in the mail. Uh, that'd and, be um, I've been doing uh, I'm doing a little project myself on reserve lineups. I'm doing reserve lineups going back to the Second World War at the moment.
5: Well, the records of those though, must be.
3: Few and far between, I, I imagine. Yeah, very hard, very hard indeed. Um, but again, another internet resource, the, the you used to have to go to Collindale for, to, to do your research and the old newspapers. But now you've got uh, the, the British newspaper archive is online, and they're slowly bringing in a lot of the regional newspapers. You've got all the main national ones are on there online. And for an annual subscription, you've got access. And the Coventry Telegraph is online going all the way up to 1979. Um, You know, believe it or not, they used to do, back in the 40s and 50s, you used to get a full match report on all reserve game and, and A games even in the Coventry Telegraph. So it's a great resource.
5: Uh, Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Obviously, last last season's title winning season was obviously fantastic. Uh, mm. But from a stats point of view, I, f- I believe it was the best start to a season since World War II. Is that is that correct?
3: Yeah, it was. It was. They were unbeaten. Uh, they were re- unbeaten up to the uh, Rotherham game, weren't they?
5: Yeah, we don't um, want to talk I, about I, that Rotherham game I, too much. I, I,
3: yeah. can't, I can't remember. How, I can't remember how many games they were unbeaten. But of course... Then they they went unbeaten from the Shrewsbury game at, in December right through till um, the games ended in March, didn't they? Fourteen yeah. fourteen unbeaten, which was the best unbeaten run since the sixty uh, seven promotion uh, promotion season. I,
5: I, 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 it's it's hard it's hard to put into words how good that season was, though, wasn't it? It's it's, it's unheard of, really, going on those two unbeaten runs.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, I just checked my season's review um, this afternoon, and the points per game was the, um, was the highest in the club's history. Wow. Um, we, we had, a, a, a one, I think it was 1.97 points per game, which was better than the 1967 promotion season. Which, if we, you know, if we kept going at the same rate we we're doing, we'd have it'd been at our record points high. It was an amazing season. Um, and, sadly, and we d- it yeah. always have that asterisk against it, mm. don't it?
5: Yeah. And it's, and you know, we did all that without winning an away game until Christmas. You know, when was the last time that happened?
3: I know, the last time that happened. Well, it was the season we did in an away game, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Was that, when was yeah. that, about 10, 15 years ago, somewhere? Uh, it was the season before we got relegated from the Premiership. Right,
5: yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so late 90s. That was a torrid
3: year, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, it was, it was that kit, wasn't it? It was the white away kit. Yeah, that was, was it. Was it the white away kit?
5: Was it white and red, or? Or was Just it white and...
3: with black shorts?
5: Yeah, I think I know the one you mean. Like the,
2: it was like black with sky blue on the front. But, yeah. Yeah.
3: No, it was it was white it was white white with black shorts. Um, we I know we played the, with the final away game was against Watford who were already down. Right. And we thought and we still oh, didn't we'll, win. We'll, and we'll, we'll win this. And did we Hal? <laughs> Even Watford beat us.
2: Yeah. And it seemed like last season we sort of narrowly won a lot of games. Was there some sort of record around that, Jim?
3: I think it was. I think it was 14, wasn't it? Was that, was it Fourteen one one goal? 14, one goal wins. Wow. And that's Uh, a record, is it? Yeah. And I think we won 18, didn't we? So 14 of the 18 were by a single goal. Oh.
5: uh, Sounds like a trait the old Arsenal team used to have.
3: Yeah. Yeah. One to yeah. The Arsenal. Definitely. And then, yeah. and then, as you say, we didn't win an away game until Christmas, and then we won four-one at the league leaders. Yeah. Victim. Incredible. No, yeah. And I think you, I think we knew that day that we had something special. Oh yeah, it's all really. it sort
2: of all clicked in one go, did not
3: it? Yeah. And then it clicked again at Tranmere. Yeah. Although, and then we, didn't, although and then we didn't look back. No. Although after you that, know, Tranmere that we had that missed they missed that penalty at two one.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah.
3: But I think uh, after I that, I think,
2: as well. I think after that we probably only like I think we drew probably two and won the rest something like that.
3: Yeah, we won seven out of away eight away games. Wow, that's bonkers. incredible form. Uh, yeah. And the only draw, the only draw was Rotherham.
2: Oh, away at Fleetwood. Yeah, of Fleaward. course. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Obviously, and, Jim, you mentioned that sort of asterisk and obviously the season happened to finish early. Um how many sort of records could we have broken if it had carried on?
3: Well I think the well the one we've already mentioned about the, the most points in the season. Yeah. Um we we'd only lost three games up till March. And the record low was six.
2: Oh, we'd have broken that, wouldn't we? I think we probably would. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't have lost more than
3: two, I reckon. We what was the other one? I, oh the, we'd only conceded 30 goals. And the record low was 38. So mm-hmm. we Such we might go. have we might have beaten that one. Yeah. Um I can't think of any.
2: Well no, it just goes just to show then it was, you know, it, it was a great season and the stats back that up as well, really.
3: Yeah, kind of a... it was. It yeah. was. And, you know, we, we. Oh, the other one, of course, that people forget is we never lost in that sky blue home kit. Oh, really? Because yeah, the course. day we lost at home to Tranmere, we played in the. Oh, yeah.
5: yeah, the black and white. Yeah. Yeah, and we wore it at yeah. Shrewsbury. And then we wore the yellow at Rotherham, I think. Wow. So obviously well, we you, ne- we you never
3: lost at home in that Sky Blue away kit. I can't remember if we, the Sky Blue Home kit, we never lost at home.
5: No,
2: we didn't lose away either, I don't think we lost in that kit at all. That's that's incredible that actually.
5: Especially how well that kit went down last season as well. That's that's good yeah. to know. Amazing. Listen, you already talked about that little asterisk, Jim, but there's probably another one there to to say that we, we won the league title without playing in our home city are we the yes. only team to 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 win a league title in in that fashion
3: i think so um the only the only the only teams that have won uh, promotion at a different ground is i think is brighton yeah cuz they, they were the with the with Dean. yeah oh yeah of so
2: course
3: that, that was in brighton and i think charlton won it one promotion at the at Selhurst Park.
4: Ah,
2: okay, but yeah, not the
5: title. Brighton was the only one I had. A, I had a question mark over because I I wasn't sure whether they did win the league in those seasons. They're away from the Amex.
3: I'm not sure they won the. I, I'm, I'm not sure they won the league. I, I think they might have been just promoted.
5: Promoted, yeah.
3: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Fair enough. Um,
5: let's 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 move on to to this season. Obviously, Mark Robbins has just recently broke that hundredth win in charge of the club, and you know we've compared him this evening to the likes of, of Jimmy Hill and mm. uh, and John Sillett as well. Uh, but how how does he compare stats wise to those
3: two guys? Well, I, I anticipated this question. <laughs> so. So I We're really grilling you tonight, Jim. <laughs> I, I, I did update my manager's um, win ratio, and and I always judge it on league games because I think if you include cup games, it can skew it because mm. you know you well, got things John like Sillett, the, would, yeah, yeah, the full members and some some manage that easier cup 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 runs. So I I always do it on league games, and. Um, if you, ca- if you update it for this season's Mark Robbins 15 games, Mark Robbins is at 44.1% win ratio. Jimmy Hill league win ratio, 439 oh, Wow. It's quite close, They're very close. Yeah. But Harry Storer who was our great manager from 1931 right up to the war. And then he came back in 1948 for another four years in charge. He managed us for 540 league games. Wow. His win ratio, 44.1. 44.4. 4. Oh, just above. Just, just above. So we're going to have, have a tie.
2: So Mark Robbins okay. is the second best manager in our history yeah. then on win ratio in the league yeah wow that's some start, isn't it
5: yeah just shows you the type no. of job he's doing right it's yeah funny. it really does
3: yeah and, and if you think about it Mark Robbins has had the same problem this year as Jimmy Hill had after he resigned but he carried on for 12 or 13 games the following season before Noel Campbell arrived mm-hmm. and we had a, we had almost as bad a start that season, as we've had this season, we only won two out of our first thirteen games that season, and we only won two out of our first we won two out of our first thirteen this season didn't mm. we or yeah or was it three anyway they had the very similar similar a big down uh, a big fall in their win ratios, so there's a similarity there, but I think that the, Mark Mark isn't gonna have a fifty percent win ratio this season, is he? So his 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 ratio is gonna go down, I'm afraid. Yeah.
5: Listen, Jim, like you've you've talked about you've been with the club the, the whole way through, you know, some of the biggest ups and downs and looking ahead to the future. What's it gonna take now for, for Mark Robbins and the club itself to propel itself to to the Premier League? What do you think it's gonna to take to, to do that?
3: Well, under Jimmy Hill they had one season of consolidation, they finished 10th the first season up, and then they finished third and missed out promotion by one point before the third season they went up. I This season, I would be happy if they finished 21st.
5: <laughs> I think we all would. Mm, I, all hope
3: I hope it's not on the last day because that, you know, I'm fed up with last day. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been to too many of those. You know, I I was at Charlton, how many years ago, when we lost pitifully but still stayed up. I was at Tottenham in '97. It was euphoric, but the build-up to that wasn't. You know, I almost had a nervous breakdown. You know, I was there in '68, '69. You know, 77, Bristol City. I've seen them all. I don't want to nail by any finish. I hope we can, we can be safe before the final day. Um, I, 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 think, I think we've got to stick with Mark Robbins, even if, we, even if we go down. I think Mark Robbins is the man, the only man, that can take us back to the promised land. I think he's well supported by our owners, I think the fans need to get behind him and not snipe every time we lose a game. They've got to look at the bigger picture. You know, we're in the we're in the equivalent of second division of football. We were in the fourth division 3 years ago. We've got to we've got to support him. I think he, you know, support him with his his model buying good young players whether they're from overseas or from the lower divisions using good recruitment policy buying players that fit into our model and in time I think we can do it mm. then of course you've got the problem of surviving in the premiership
2: haven't you? <laughs> yeah. do it all over again
3: <laughs> and, uh, and and that I can't say I look forward to going back in the premiership I think it'd be great to win promotion but You know, to go out every week the way Brighton do, the way West Brom do, the way Burnley do, and, you know, there's no hope of finishing in the top six, is there?
5: No. No. Definitely not.
2: I suppose it's just, you know, if we went back for even one season, just to have that, you know, just to have the memories, I suppose, and then if we did drop back down, it would obviously, I suppose it would
3: help the club a lot financially as well. Yeah, Um, it would. But. it would it would but you know, you know there's a glimmer of hope when you see what Leeds United are doing hmm. you know could they become a team that could break into the top eight top six I look I look at Wolves you know and yeah, they've yeah. got a fantastic manager with a team yeah. that is so exciting yeah um,
2: I suppose it's the ownership they, thing as well isn't it yeah. with them. they've got good owners
3: um, I think so I think so um, but then you look at Sheffield United, you think, well, they almost broke in last season, um, And then this year, can't buy a they win. just they can't. Um, and you know, knowing Sheffield wilder if they don't improve, Wilder will go. Mm. and then then, it's, then it becomes a, a real lottery uh, about who, who they bring in and whether they can keep them up. Um, you got to, you know, and I think Chris Wilder's done a fantastic job, you know, he took, took them from third division to the first division to, you know, Premier League and performed miracles but and you look at clubs who've, you know, they, they, they seem to get there and then they get a poor start or they think they should be getting higher and they get rid of, you know, Charlton to Athletic to me when they got rid of w was madness mm, a few yeah. years ago. And, you know, look where they ended up. Um, so I, I think the clubs have got to be more patient with their manager. Um, you know, look at Sunderland. You know, they have a manager every first end and yeah. it doesn't do them any good, does it? No, it
5: doesn't. Good, good always- for us to look at them now. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes. yeah. With
5: their issues. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean no
2: wonder Mike Robbins didn't want to go there. You know. No. You know, would have just taken a few poor results and he knows he'd be out of a job again, whereas he knows that here he's, he's pretty safe, isn't he?
3: No matter what he does. Right. I think so, unless he does something catastrophic.
4: Mm. Yeah.
2: But he deserves that, you know, for what he's done so far, he deserves time, doesn't he, in yeah. the championship. You know. Even yeah. if we you know, God forbid, even if we went down, you know, what, you know, it's not it's not necessarily his fault. He, you know, he's brought us this far and he's got to be yeah. the man to continue the journey for now.
3: Yeah, and I think he, you know, he, he learned something when he left to go to Huddersfield. Yeah, I think
2: so. I think he felt guilty about it.
3: I think so. Yeah, I think so. And I think he, he realized that he had, he had a good owner. He'd left a good owner. Um, okay, the circumstances, I think, are a bit different but he's i think he realized that he 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 all the money in the world doesn't doesn't make up for a bad owner mm yeah absolutely
2: yeah. Jim it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the Sky Blues Extra podcast it really has been fascinating right, I've, you know,
3: I've enjoyed it really yeah enjoyed we've it
2: immensely. we've really enjoyed it it's, it's such a brilliant yeah. insight and you know a really a very different perspective on the Sky Blues and yeah. you know all those stats and stuff it really is it is fascinating we could probably talk all night and sort of grill you yeah. on different different things but um but yeah no thanks a lot for making the time and, and obviously thanks for all the all the hard work you do for the club with uh with the stats we really do appreciate it
3: we didn't we didn't even get round to you know my tales of of uh of uh doing hooky hooky from school to watch coventry city did we no. we can always do a round two in the future i was gonna say we'll, we'll have to do a part two jim <laughs> Yes. yeah I, yeah I, I you know i i got cane several times at, uh, at school for playing hooky to go and watch Coventry <laughs> <City>. <laughs> Brilliant. yeah i'm sure was worth it yeah it was it was yeah. fantastic uh, yeah, yeah i really enjoyed it and and uh, i would like to say i've listened to several of your your podcasts and you're doing a fantastic job really really good job i'm enjoyed immensely um Listening to, uh, I love the Dave Body one, um, and uh, keep up the good work.
2: Yeah, no, no, thanks, Jim. We really appreciate it, and it's all, yeah, you know, it's all possible by having you know brilliant guests on like you, and obviously our yeah. our brilliant listeners and followers as well. And listeners, don't forget, you can get involved after every game on the Sky Blues Extra Live. Come and join us in the studio to give your views on all of the action on the pitch. We once again thank shortenhorn Horn for kindly sponsoring the podcast. And as always, if you want to get involved in the conversation on any of our channels, just use the hashtag SkyBluesExtraPodcast. Blues Extra Podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything